The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. Stocks pulling back after their best day in months. The Dow coming off a more than 600-point gain. Helping lead the charge higher is Apple on a major pandemic milestone and more praise from the Oracle of Omaha. The big pre-market winner, though, you got to take a look at Zoom popping after another stellar quarter. But one investor says the record-breaking growth is unsustainable. We'll get to that on Capitol Hill at this hour. Senator Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are calling for a new billionaire tax, potentially costing the life of Jeff Bezos an extra $5 billion. And the unlikely customer fueling the growth at Disney. Plus, it is Tuesday, March 2nd, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange here on CNBC. Good morning, everyone. I'm Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan right now. Kicking off your Tuesday morning, let's take a look at stock futures following that big rally yesterday. This morning's potential pullback coming after a record-breaking day on Wall Street. The Dow surging more than 600 points to snap a two-session losing streak. The Dow currently down 91, Nasdaq lower by 64. The blue chips and the Nasdaq, though, coming off their best day since November. Yesterday was also the best day for the S&P 500 since June, gaining over 2%. Leading the Dow higher on Monday, Boeing Apple, Dow, and Goldman Sachs seeing gains of nearly 4%. The Nasdaq 100 leaders include Zoom Video after earnings, Tesla, and Syntas. A couple other winners there, as you can see there. The move in equities coming as the yield on the 10-year continues to slide off last week's big surge that we saw. The 10-year note yielding 1.43%. But let's go worldwide right now. In Asia, stocks did close mostly lower after a senior Chinese official expressed concerns about a risk of asset bubbles in foreign markets. The Shanghai Composite closing down over 1%. In Europe, right now, we are higher across the board. Germany up fractionally. FTSE 100 higher by four-tenths of one percent. France up by uh, around two-tenths of one percent. All right, new this morning in D.C., a group of Democrats on Capitol Hill, including Senators Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, are proposing a three percent total annual tax on wealth exceeding one billion dollars and a lesser two percent annual tax on the net worth of households and trusts ranging from 50 million to $1 billion. Now, under this ultra-millionaire tax, the 100 richest Americans would hand over more than $78 billion of their personal fortunes. Jeff Bezos alone would face an extra tax charge of potentially $5.4 billion. Elon Musk, over $5 billion. And Bill Gates, $4 billion. Elizabeth Warren will be on Squawk Box later to discuss this new proposal. Disney CEO Bob Chapek says his company's streaming service, Disney Plus, has a very unlikely fan base fueling its growth. Speaking at the Morgan Stanley Technology Media and Telecommunication Conference yesterday, Chapek said uh, more than 50 percent of global subscribers are from adults 
who do not have kids. Quote, when 50 percent of the people in Disney Plus don't have kids, you really have the opportunity now to think much more broadly about the nature of your content. As of January 2nd, Disney Plus had signed up 94.9 million customers worldwide since launching in November of 2019. And take a look at shares of Zoom surging this morning after the company reported fourth quarter earnings and guidance above expectations. Zoom says revenue grew 370% year on year and expects fiscal first quarter adjusted earnings of 95 to 97 cents above the 72 cent expected. Including the pre-market move, Zoom shares now up 32% this year. Wow. All right, back to D.C., to Capitol Hill now, and the developing story around President Biden's $1.9 trillion COVID relief package. The president expected to speak with Democrats once again today with the hope of unifying the party ahead of the Senate debate. NBC's Tracy Potts joins us live from D.C. with what's going to happen in Washington, D.C. Tracy, good morning. Hi, Seema. Good morning. We know that debate and even a preliminary vote could happen as early as tomorrow. So so far, there are no Republicans on board. But the focus of President Biden in the White House today is to keep all 50 Democrats on board. A shot in the arm for Americans and for Congress. We're going to talk about that. As the first single-dose vaccines are administered in the U.S. today, President Biden speaks on the pandemic, and he's calling Senate Democrats for some lunchtime lobbying to shore up support for the American Rescue Plan. We've reserved time in his schedule to ensure that he can be engaged, roll up his sleeves, and be personally involved. The first Senate vote could happen as early as tomorrow, but Democrats are not all on the same page. Some want to tighten up income requirements for the $1,400 payments. Others want to roll back business tax breaks to make up for getting rid of a minimum wage increase. I expect a hearty debate and some late nights. It didn't have to be this way. Congress at odds as the pandemic rages on. The CDC reports cases and deaths are slowly creeping back up 2% over the last week. I am really worried about reports that more states are rolling back the exact public health measures we have recommended. Also today, FBI Director Christopher Wray testifies on the January 6th Capitol riot. Director Wray, frankly, has a lot of explaining to do. Lawmakers want to know what intelligence Intelligence the agency had before the attack. And senators are asking for some hard evidence on that. They are asking the FBI and 20 other agencies for documents on their plans in the days before the attack. I imagine senators will likely focus on that FBI memo the day before the riot warning of violence, right? Just to get more evidence on exactly how this was planned. Exactly. And that memo came out very late. It came from one of the FBI field offices, but didn't make its way up the chain to land on the desk of the people who needed to see it. It warned uh, that there could be protesters showing up uh, talking about war uh, and planning acts of violence against the Capitol, which, of course, is exactly what we ended up seeing. Yeah, still crazy that we saw all that happen. Tracy, thank you for the latest in Washington. A lot to look forward to uh, in D.C. Tracy Potts. Back to the markets now. Stocks poised to pull back after that strong start that we saw yesterday. This as investor anxiety over yields and the rapid rise in borrowing costs appears to be easing. Our next guest says rates could pull back even further. 
I'm joined by Josh Wien, uh, Portfolio Manager at Hennessy Funds. Josh, good morning to you. First to yesterday's big move in the market, S&P 500, seeing its best day in nine months. What would you say uh, fuel stocks yesterday, and is it sustainable? Sure. Yeah, sustainable. Good morning. Good to be with you, Seema. Yeah, I don't know if it's sustainable. That was quite a move yesterday. I would say that yesterday's move was was mainly a function of of you know interest rates, and so we went from you know one percent on the ten year very quickly to one point six intraday last week on the ten year, and so pulling back to about one four, I think you know it's a small move, but it means a lot. And so yes, I think that you know that back up in rates to one six is you know overdone. Uh, largely a function of, you know, what happens every now and then, which is talk of inflation. And, uh, you know, we can talk more about it. I, I think that the idea that inflation really picks up in a meaningful and permanent way is, is there's certainly no evidence for that and, and don't see that happening. But I think that, yeah, yesterday's move was just kind of a, a pause in the worry about, you know, a backup in rates. Yeah, and I wonder if investors should not read into yesterday's move too much because, by the way, the first day of March last year, stocks also ended the day higher by around 2 to 3%, and then we know what followed, a bruising month for the month of March in 2020. Uh, right. Do you think history could repeat itself? A bruising month? Well, no, I don't. I mean, it's certainly it's hard sometimes to separate what you hope will happen and what you think will happen. I hope not, and I don't believe that will be the case. I mean, obviously, last March was... You know, this would be the polar opposite of last March. You know, we are now kind of going in the right direction with a third vaccine. And I think the sense is that this is all happening a little more quickly than people would have thought just two or three months ago. So I, I think that, you know, there's certainly no exogenous event like a, a pandemic that is going to get in the way of what's been a, a good start to the month. So then you say with the Dow trading above 31,000 and the S&P 5 and the Nasdaq above 13,000, that this market still has more room to run, working off this trifecta of that stimulus bill getting passed and moving forward to the Senate and uh, B of A now putting out that new growth estimate for 7.5 percent U.S. GDP for, for this year. Is that what you're working? That's your bullish thesis here? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it's interesting with growth because I think that that's being underestimated. It's hard. It's always hard to model in what growth will be. And I think even you know, right now there's so much pent up demand. Uh, so, yeah, I think that growth and, you know, the expansion of margins, uh, you know, and, and where we are with, you know, with rates in multiple. So rates at one four on the 10 year still historically low. It's about where we were when the pandemic started or right before, uh, you know, to put that in context. You know, we have about a four and a half percent earnings yield on the S&P. And so when you look at that versus the 10 year, that relationship is pretty much just as good as it was before we started talking about the pandemic. Uh, and, and then a lot of cash on the sidelines. Uh, I would note, you know, S&P 500, about seven trillion dollars yeah. on the balance sheet and, and private equity at about one and a half trillion. And that's about that's an unlevered number. So I think there is a lot of, <clears throat> you know, wind at our backs. And yeah, the growth, I think that. And Josh, when I hear about growth, yeah, go ahead. On Sorry. growth, what's a, your best uh, stock pick right now? Best stock pick. So, you know, looking at our Hennessy Midcap 30 fund, you know, looking at, you know, we in that fund look at valuation and earnings growth and stock price momentum. I would point out Quanta Power Services uh, growth and kind of the high single digits, uh, trading at about 19 times earnings and certainly some significant stock price momentum recently. Uh, Quanta sits. Uh, at the nexus of some interesting uh, trends, very timely 
Uh, it is a, an infrastructure and uh, services company, mainly for utilities. So as we saw in Texas recently, about two weeks ago, uh, certainly highlighted the need for uh, grid hardening, you know, to deal with weather, adverse weather, as well as modernization. And, yeah. you know, as we hear, you know, more and more the integration of renewables. So I think that a company like Quanta uh, is interesting. And speaking of stimulus and infrastructure spending, I mean, that is obviously, again, very timely. And that so seems to be working. That. Shares up uh, nearly 19%. Josh, we're going to leave the conversation there, but thank you for joining us today. Josh Wine of Hennessy Fund. And when we come back, how a fourth COVID vaccine in the U.S. could become a reality by May. Plus, travel CEOs say green shoots are emerging. We ask our next guest if those comments can make you some money. And later, Apple coming off its best day since October. We speak with one shareholder who, sh who says his thesis sees Apple even heading higher from here. A very busy hour ahead for Worldwide Exchange. Don't go away. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. A number of stocks to watch at this hour, and we are going to start with Roku. Shares trading higher after the company announced it is buying Nielsen's video advertising business. Financial details were not disclosed. Nielsen's technology will let Roku replace traditional ads and linear TV feeds with targeted digital spots on streaming platforms. Shares of Roku up about 2% in pre-market. Shares of vaccine developer, developer Novavax trading lower this morning after its latest quarterly results fell short of analyst estimates. But the Novavax CEO telling CNBC his company's COVID vaccine could get FDA approval as early as May. Certainly exciting news there. And we are watching shares of Michaels. They got a nice pop yesterday on this deal talk of about 12% during the regular session. Reports say the craft and hobby retailer is attracting buyout interest from Apollo Global Management, the private equity firm, and at least one other firm. Michaels shares are up more than 300% over the past year. Still on deck, two boasts, two boosts for Bitcoin and the cryptocurrency as it flirts with $50,000 once again. Today's big number, $700 billion. That's the total value of M&A activity announced so far this year, according to data from Refinitiv. That's a jump of 56% over the same period last year. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast. 
generating texts in seconds thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. What you're seeing is uh, enthusiasm about the pace of the vaccine coming out. Older people um, who are getting the vaccine earlier, people over 65. So some of the things that we thought was going to happen aren't happening. They're, they're, they're better than we thought. We really thought older people would be more cautious. Turns out they want to get out of the house, too. We do have uh, lots of optimism that over the passage of time, as the vaccine is more widely distributed, as the pandemic starts to recede, that our customers are anxious to get out there and be face-to-face with their business partners and their customers. We saw when people came out of lockdowns, out of the spring, they wanted to travel. We had a fairly strong, well, it's stronger than we thought, last summer because people did have that pent-up desire to travel. I don't know about you, but I want to travel. I haven't gone anywhere. I want to get going. So anecdotally, I hear a lot of the same things from people. What people miss is actually just spending meaningful time with the people they care about. And that's what we're focused on. And that's the travel that I think is going to come back in full force. Some much-needed C-suite optimism for a sector beaten down by the pandemic. But travel is on the rebound. Just take a look at a six-month chart of the Invesco Leisure and Entertainment ETF, up nearly 50% since September, led by the cruise lines and hotels. Joining me now on whether this run higher can continue is Patrick Scholes, Truist Lodging and Leisure Equity Strategist and Managing Director. Uh, Great to have you on today, Patrick. Start with the cruise lines, two financing options leveraged by the cruise lines. You had Royal issuing a secondary of $1.5 billion and Norwegian issuing even more debt, another $500 million. Typically, news of issuing shares or more debt uh, would be a source of concern. But the stock performance of these cruise lines over the past month, Patrick, suggests otherwise. Uh, And also, if you look at the pricing of these bond deals, Norwegian's yield has come now down to 5.7 percent versus the debt it raised a year ago at around 12 percent. What does that tell you about how investors are are changing sort of their view about the outlook of these cruise lines? Yeah, I mean, investors are two things. One, either they're taking the very long view that, hey, things will come back to normal sometime by later uh, next year. Or uh, on the other hand, you have the what do we call the pure momentum trade um, where you're not necessarily looking at uh, earnings per share, which we've historically valued these companies on, but just really trading on uh, pure momentum. And that's the case of many, if not all, names uh, in my sector right now. Of the cruise lines, Norwegian Cruise Line has raised the most debt and equity, about $12.3 billion in debt over the past year, uh, equity of around $10.7 billion. What timeline are you working off of for these cruise lines as to when they can return to an environment where they're actually making money and back at sea? Well, back at sea and making money are, are bit different things right now. I, mean, I think it's realistic to think that you'll you'll have some paid cruises by uh, by fourth quarter of this year. But that said, you'll you will not be at full uh, sailings of their of their uh, full fleet, and because of that, you'll still be on the bottom line, losing money. Um, you know, I would expect possibly turning to profitability on an earnings per share basis. It, you know, it could be towards the end of uh, next year. Um, when you really have all the ships uh, perhaps uh, uh, sailing with paid passengers. See, it seems like the market doesn't really realize this, that they may not get back to seas, as you say, till the fourth quarter 
uh, it's going to take some time, right? There's just a lot that goes into these mock voyages, the simulations that the CDC is mandating. Uh, with that said, the, the market seems to be working off of the future bookings data, whether it's the cruise lines, the hotels, or even Airbnb. But here's my mm-hmm. question. Do you think the bookings data is actually a good gauge on future travel demand when the industry has sort of changed um, what it requires? I mean, now there's flexible cancellation policies, no change fees. So we're not really sure that the future bookings really tells us about people who really want to, to take want to go on a trip. I mean, I've booked a trip in August. Who knows if I'll actually go? Well, I think what's a bit different right now is uh, the the rollout of the vaccines, where maybe if we booked last summer for, you know, travel around Thanksgiving, thinking, hey, we might have, um, you know, flatten the curve by that point, uh, which certainly uh, didn't happen. Well, right now, people are getting vaccinated. I've actually uh, gotten vaccinated. And, you know, I feel pretty confident about uh, doing my uh, uh, summer plan. So that's certainly uh, what's changed. Now, interestingly, SEMA, I mean, we, we do, as I've mentioned before on the program, we do a tremendous amount of big data research looking at actual reservations for hotels, cruise lines, pricing on those. I can say we've actually, over the last six weeks, have seen some real green shoots uh, on the leisure side, especially for uh, forward reservations to uh, places like Hawaii and uh, Florida, real leisure markets. So that's um, uh, very encouraging. And where does that leave a company like Airbnb, which surprised on earnings? I mean, everyone was, was expecting a bad print, just given the big run-up in the stock, that they, weren't be, they, they wouldn't be able to meet expectations or surpass expectations, but they did. Uh, but at the same time, you and I have discussed this before, they don't have a loyalty program. So if they really want to go after the business traveler over time, uh, they've got to beef up their, their point structure, right? Well, see, my, unfortunately, I can't specifically cover, or excuse me, I can't specifically talk to Airbnb as I don't co- uh, cover it, but I cover similar names and I can talk in generalities. Um, you know, I would say that uh, uptick in leisure travel is is positive for uh, all companies that that play in the leisure space. And, uh, you know, I would, I would say along the lines of rising tides uh, continue to lift all boats. Yeah, and shares of Airbnb at 195 a share. Uh, Patrick, thank you for joining us today. Patrick Scholes of Truist. Thank you. Let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera in New York with the latest. Good morning, Francis. Hi, Seema. Good morning to you. We start this morning with a new new weapon in the fight against COVID-19 that's on the move. Millions of doses of the COVID uh, Johnson & Johnson vaccine have shipped out and are expected to be delivered within the next two days. In clinical trials, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine demonstrated a 72% efficacy and it was 100% effective at preventing COVID-related hospitalizations and deaths. The vaccine can also be stored at regular refrigeration levels and requires just one shot. Senators will grill the FBI director today over intelligence lapses in the days leading up to the deadly insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. Lawmakers are expected to question Christopher Wray over the FBI's preparations for the riot and the investigation into the January 6th siege. He'll also likely face questions about the national security threat from white nationalists and domestic extremists. Take a look at this extraordinary time-lapse video of Italy's Mount Etna volcano erupting on Sunday. The explosion sent a tower of smoke miles into the air and dumped ash and rock fragments on towns nearby. The latest blast is part of a series of eruptions that began on February 16th. Fascinating to watch, just as long as we watch it from a distance. And it stays safe for everybody else. Seema, those are your headlines for this Stun- Tuesday. Back to you. Stunning images. Thank you for bringing that mm-hmm. to us, Francis. Have sure a great thing. day. 
All right, ahead on Worldwide Exchange, move over Tesla because one automaker is setting a new audacious goal of electrification before the end of the decade. And if you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, and other podcast apps. We will be right back. Stocks coming in hot for the month of March as all three major indices post their best performances in months. But futures point to that momentum fading. Not giving up any momentum, shares of Apple and Zoom as the old and new guards of tech are bolstered by positive headlines. And will it be good news for Target with its latest quarterly results due next hour as it looks to keep business booming amid the stay-at-home shift? It is Tuesday, March 2nd, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back. I'm Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan. Let's take a look at stock futures. We are halfway through the 5 a.m. hour and Wall Street is coming off a huge move with the Dow up over 600 points in yesterday's trade. Right now, pre-market, the Dow is currently down 83, Nasdaq lower by 62 and the S&P 500 off by around 17 points. But just to put yesterday's move into perspective, the Nasdaq saw its best days since November. The S&P 500 coming off its best day since June. The move higher in equities comes as the yield on the 10-year appears to be leveling off. Remember, it hit a one-year high of 1.6% last month. Here we are at 1.43%. And keep an eye on Bitcoin. It's been all over the place. Reuters, though, is reporting that Goldman Sachs has restarted its cryptocurrency trading desk and will begin dealing Bitcoin futures for clients as soon as next week. The bank is also reportedly exploring the potential for a Bitcoin ETF. This comes as activist investor Dan Loeb says he's looking at the crypto, tweeting yesterday in part, quote, I've been doing a deep dive into crypto lately. It is real test of being intellectually open to new and controversial ideas. Maintaining healthy skepticism while also deepening one's understanding requires one to engage in what Steve Jobs described as a prerequisite for a super superior intellect. Bitcoin currently up about 2% at 49,000. Back to equities and the overseas action in Europe. Let's send it to, over to Jamana Bersetchi in the London newsroom. Jamana. Morning, Seema. Yeah, so uh, we had European equities search for direction this morning, starting off slightly on the negative side of things. But you can see that in the past hour, we have turned into positive territory. FTSE 100 in the UK up about half a percentage point. There we're watching very closely for the UK budget that's set to be unveiled tomorrow. Could have huge implications, specifically on some of the home builder stocks that we've been watching very closely. And some of them are right at the top of the FTSE 100. Cacarante in France, we have up about two tenths of a percentage point. One company in particular in focus there today, Caring, has said that they bought a 5% stake in Vestiaire Collective. On the back of that, the luxury good maker is down uh, just a fraction of a percentage point. Zetradax in Germany also up about two-tenths of a percentage point. We're seeing some good performance in the industrial names there, despite some of the weaker data we had this morning on the unemployment front. I just want to turn very quickly to oil stocks, because we are seeing a sell-off in this part of the market today. There is some expectation that come April, OPEC Plus would be considering raising production, and obviously that is not a good thing for the price of oil, at least in spot terms. So on the back of that, we are seeing a sell-off in some of the major oil companies in Europe. And some of those are majorly based in the UK. So BP, you can see, down about 1.5 percentage points. Shell, 
also down similar amounts, and that is weighing on the European indices overall. But in light of yesterday's performance, we are now seeing some gains, and the stock markets are trading in the green in Europe. Sima. Jamana Persecci with the latest in Europe. Thank you. Now, sticking with the markets, I'm joined by Potomac Wealth Advisors President Mark Avalon. Mark, thank you for joining us. Wow, what a first day of the month for March. Uh, what did you make of it? Best performing stocks, really travel, leisure and, and energy. And what stood out to you? Well, it was a continuation of the reopening trade, a lot of optimism on vaccines. And I think we saw the 10 year pull back a little bit. You covered that earlier. I think that's really going to be the driver this year. And I think fears of hyperinflation and interest rates the 10-year heading towards 2% and staying there are a bit exaggerated. And I think once investors realize it's a global economy, there are a lot of headwinds against super growth around the world. There's high unemployment still. The U.S. is one of the most aggressive central banks and one of the most aggressive um, fiscal responses. It's not being mirrored around the world. And I think when people realize we may actually have some slower, steadier growth this year, I think they decided to dip their toe back into stocks. Are the concerns around inflation warranted when the latest uh, inflation read on PCE, personal consumption expenditures index, came in well below the Fed's uh, target of 2 percent? Well, inflation is going to be dislocated in areas that the pandemic has dramatically hit, like new housing and housing costs and materials and commodities. It has gone up. But what's going to happen with rental prices? There's going to be a, a decline in areas like that. You also, as I mentioned, when you have high unemployment, you have less wage pressure, and that is going to be a headwind. You also just mentioned how OPEC Plus is going to be meeting again. They have very hard time keeping their production targets and limits. So eventually, there are going to be counter forces to the burst that we just saw in terms of inflation fears. And I think that leveling out is going to prove to be opt optimistic for stocks. So you have a stimulus bill continuing to be debated in Washington. Retail earnings on deck today with Target and Kohl's and an unemployment report, uh, job support out this Friday. What's your top trade today, Mark? Well, it really depends if you're one of these aggressive investors that want to be involved in the emerging technologies and the disruptors. And if you are, that's, that's very different than someone who is more for the slower, steadier investment profile. We fall more into the latter. But if we want to be a little more aggressive in that sphere, we really think emerging markets have very good opportunity for investors. They have favorable debt, low government debt overhang, favorable demographics. They don't have the aging populations that we, Europe and Japan have. And I think that they're going to present investors with significant growth opportunities this year, but well into the future. That's where the growth is. And I think especially in Asia, where they've handled the pandemic well and the economies are rebounding well from this pandemic, could be a good place for investors to park some money. And some bullish comments from Ray Dalio yesterday at the Council on Foreign Relations about China specifically opening up its capital markets and over time that becoming uh, a bigger place to park your cash for investors. And we're looking at the emerging market uh, ETF actually outpacing the gains of the S&P 500 uh, so far this year. It's been a winning trade. Mark, thank you for joining us. Mark Avalone. Good to All be right. here. Coming up on Worldwide Exchange, Ant Group reportedly defying pressures from Chinese regulators over data as it faces mounting internal friction over its scrapped IPO. 
But first, as we head to break, some of your other top stories. An Amazon manager is suing the tech giant, accusing the company of discrimination. She claims Amazon hires black people for lower positions and promotes them more slowly than white workers, adding that she was subjected to harassment. Amazon says it's investi- investigating the claims. Nike announcing the vice president and general manager of its North American division has resigned. The move by Ann Herbert comes after a report of her 19-year-old son apparently using a credit card in her name to buy more than $100,000 in sneakers to resell them for a profit. And Volvo announcing its entire auto lineup will be fully electric in 2030. The company joining a growing number of car makers planning to phase out fossil fuel engines by the end of this decade. Worldwide Exchange, we are back in a moment. Welcome back. We are following a number of developments involving Ant Group in China. The Financial Times reporting the company is defying China's central bank over its demand for more information over its consumer data. The FT says Ant Group has shared only a fraction of its user information. Meanwhile, the Wall Street Journal reporting Ant Group's executive chairman is trying to calm employee discontent over the company's pulled IPO. The Journal, citing a memo to workers, says employees were told the company would look for ways to help them monetize some of their shares after the listing was called off. But Bloomberg reporting Ant Group has scrapped a share buyback program for current and departing staff, partly because it's not sure how to value the company. Sticking with technology, shares of Apple higher once again in the pre-market after their best day since October 12th. The company says for the first time since the pandemic began, all of its U.S. retail stores are once again open to the public. Apple also getting some renewed praise from Warren Buffett in his annual letter to shareholders. Joining me now is one of those shareholders, Granite Investment Advisors partner and portfolio manager Tim Leska. Tim, good morning to you. Uh, Good morning, Seema. So we saw a dramatic move in Apple in the month of February, down about 6%. Uh, Have you been building a bigger possession in shares and taking advantage of the pullback? Well, certainly after last year's run in Apple, it's hard to be adding a lot to existing positions. But certainly for new clients, we continue to add Apple. We continue to be very bullish on it for the long term. We're particularly heartened when people like Warren Buffett recognize that technology stocks can be value stocks and that share repurchases are very powerful for the long run for a company like Apple. Trading at 127 a share, it's below its all-time high. What would be fair value to you? Uh, well, you know, fair value, we really look at it on an, on an earnings and an EV to EBITDA basis. So, um, you know, we're not, we're probably looking in the 150s to 160s for what current fair value is. It's one of the few companies that continues to show the ability to organically grow new business lines um, in a, you know, The pandemic didn't really shut them down, so the store opening wasn't really as big a story to us as perhaps it was to the market. Um, But you've had a bit of a revaluation of some of the higher valuations in tech stocks over the first two months of the year. And I think that was a bit of a relief rally after there was a lot of pressure on a number of them. You know, I'm just looking at a six-month chart of Apple. It's basically traded in, you know, in a narrow range. Uh, it's down about 2% over the past six months. What, what needs to happen for this? What would be the next catalyst for this stock, I guess? Well, you know, everybody knew we were going into a, an iPhone super cycle, and a lot of that got priced in throughout the summer. They were also able to successfully sell phones uh, even when their stores were shut. So for Apple, it's really growing into what the valuation that had gotten perhaps a little bit of ahead of itself. And, and you're right. If you look back to August and September, we're really close to those same levels. 
which is nice in a stock, really. You, you know, stocks are not going to go up 40 and 50 percent a year. You do need periods of consolidation for the earnings to catch up to the valuation. I think so, Apple is oh. one of those. Uh, sorry, I was going to say Apple is one of those stocks, as you say in your notes here, that not only offers growth, but it does have a dividend yield and it continues to grow. It's um, repurchasing, uh, continues to repurchase shares as well. I'm wondering if yields do tick up again and we get to that 2% level that some analysts are calling for this year, if that could compete with, with Apple's yield? Well, I don't think anybody owns Apple just for the dividend. It's just nice that you know you're going to have, you may have long periods of consolidation in a stock that you get paid while you wait. Um, and I think really what it is is Apple's incredibly strong cash position and capacity to both issue debt when rates are cheap and buy back stocks is what Warren Buffett was referring to. And they continue to just be fantastic stewards of capital. All right, Tim, while we have you, we're also watching shares of Zoom. I just want to put up a screen popping once again in pre-market. It was higher as much as 11 percent. Now seeing a gain of around, let's see, 8.6 percent. Zoom says sales rose nearly 370 percent year on year. Outlook also topping estimates. Tim, I think some of us kind of cringed when we looked at Zoom's Zoom's, uh, earnings and thought, oh, no, an upbeat outlook for the future. I guess we're going to be working from home for uh, perhaps a foreseeable future and not returning to face-to-face. But uh, what stood out to you in that report? Well, what stood out to me, certainly, it's eye-popping kind of growth. And the hard part is Zoom really didn't need to have such a bullish outlook, right? Uh, you know, they, they said a lot about their future earnings expectations. When everybody's expecting as we reopen that we are going to, this has been more persistent than we expected, but we are going to see people going back to work. We are seeing people want to go back to work uh, because they cannot work at home, but they have children at home. So I'm a little bit skeptical of the future growth rate that they laid out, even though their service is fantastic and we're all learning a new way to do business. I just don't see the, those kind of growth rates in the future. Yeah, we did see a deceleration in some metrics, including sequential sales growth, customer uh, acquisition, RPO, led by the uh, Americas region. But what's the biggest risk in, in holding shares of Zoom here as the economy reopens? Uh, it's straight up valuation, yeah. right? Here you have, as the economy opens, you begin to see other companies become more attractive, whether it's the energy sector or the financial sector. So people will eventually roll out of the highest valuations and roll into more reasonable and attractive valuations. So it's not Zoom's business that's at risk. It's just the valuation of the stock. And competition, Microsoft and Cisco, uh, which, which name do you think is giving it a run for its money, if at all? I, I think Microsoft is really giving the most Teams. run for the money. It, it's interesting that Cisco has been in this business for a very, very long time, but really unable to capture the consumer side of that business, which Zoom has. Um, and as people learn to use things like Zoom and Teams, there's only going to be two or three players that maintain that persistence. Um, there are six or seven players out there. I know that I have WebEx meetings, I have Zoom meetings, I have Skype meetings, um, and I have Teams meetings. Um, so it's really about how people do business. And I think that's going to be Microsoft Teams on the business side and Zoom on the personal side. We've all become masters of them all. Throw it at us and we will be on that video <laughs> platform. Uh, Zoom here moving uh, up 8% in pre-market. Tim, thank you for joining us. Tim Lesko, have a great day. Thanks for having me. And speaking of Zoom, don't miss a first on CNBC interview with the Zoom CFO. That's coming up on Squawk Box in the 8 a.m. Eastern hour. On deck here on Worldwide Exchange, a tale of two retailers, Target and Kohl's, preparing to release quarterly results. Stacey Widlitz and Jerome Martis break down what to expect and how the sector stands one year into this pandemic. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast. It is hot. A lot of great information there. Worldwide Exchange, we will be right back.
Welcome back. Let's get a check on futures on this Tuesday morning. Uh, we are lower by 70 points on the Dow, NASDAQ lower by 43. This pullback coming after a record-breaking day on Wall Street where we saw stocks move higher sharply across the Dow, S&P, and NASDAQ, all 11 S&P 500 sectors ending the day in positive territory. This as the yield on the 10-year uh, continues to slide off that 1.6% level that we breached last week. We're currently at 1.439%. Let's take a look at some of the biggest laggards on the Dow yesterday. Visa, Intel, Boeing, uh, Walt Disney, and Chevron just rounding out the top five for the Dow. And there's Bitcoin you can see higher by 1%. Now, among the morning stocks on the move, uh, we're watching China-based electric vehicle maker reporting NIO reporting a larger-than-expected loss for its latest quarter. It's also issuing a sales forecast for the current quarter that shows slower-than-expected growth, and NIO shares are down nearly 5% here in pre-market. A pair of big-box retailers with two very different stock charts reporting earnings today. Target is expected to report a jump in same-store sales, boosted by faster deliveries and demand for home goods, electronics, and beauty products, shares up 5% this year. Meantime, Kohl's is projected to post a decline in profit, hit by sluggish demand and apparel and other discretionary goods during the pandemic. Kohl's stock is actually outpacing Target this year after a group of activist investors took a stake in the company and are seeing control of the board. Uh, shares are up 40% in 2021. Three things you must know about retail earnings. I'm joined by Jerome Martis, head of consumer research at Refinitiv, and Stacey Widlitz, president of SW Retail Advisors and co-founder of DealMakers. Ladies, great to see you. Stacey, I'm going to start with you. You say Target is no longer your grandmother's mall, and this is a stock that investors should be owners of. Tell us why. Yeah, Target is the new mall. Um, obviously, we've seen huge share coming out of the mall, coming out of department stores. And Target is starting to really own the mass premium space. They've got 10 brands, private label brands that are over a billion dollars. They're fulfilling 95% of their orders from stores, which means lower costs on digital because the consumer is also picking that up, coming to the store 40% of the time that they're ordering online. So it's a margin story. It's a market share story. It, it's the new mall, and certainly you're seeing comps that they already reported for holiday up 17%, with store comps up 4%, which is incredible. So I think they're really the one-stop shopping future mass premium player that's going to just own this channel. And I guess qu the question, Jerome, is, I mean, you look at the last quarter, such a strong report from Target. Uh, it gained market share across all five divisions, electronics, home goods, apparel. Sales of electronics for Target in the last quarter rose 50 percent. Those are really tough comps to beat. Absolutely. In fact, it's all because during the pandemic, they executed so well and were able to gain so much of the market share away from the department stores. Uh, we agree with what Stacy said, that the Stacey Kohl's, um, sorry, Target has now become the one-stop shop. The department stores used to be the one-stop shop, but then with the pandemic, Target stole all that market share. And now its clientele is really accustomed to come and enjoy the same-day fulfillment and the same-day um, services as Chef Drive Up and even Pick Up have all, be, have all raised over 500, have all increased over mm. almost 200%. Yeah, Stacey, I mean, being a one-stop shop, how, how critical is it that these big-box retailers and department stores, that they stay nimble and flexible with the type of inventory that they hold as consumer preferences change with this economy reopening? 
It's so crucial. And if you think about Kohl's, almost 60% of their business right now is coming from home, kids, and athletic. Now, if we think about when we come out of the other side of, of the vaccinations, everybody's going to want to bust out and go out. And then you're going to see this shift to apparel. That's really one of the spaces that Kohl's has been underperforming. So it's so important to be able to have short lead times and literally be able to pivot to where the consumer is going, whether that's categories or whether that's how they want to shop. And also, you know, you look at Target, they teamed up the other day talking about they're going to have an, an enhanced platform with Apple inside their stores. Um, they've added Levi's into their stores. So you're seeing the brands go where the traffic is going, and that's Target. I wonder, uh, Jerome, uh, on that point, I mean, what retail earnings could look like uh, today and the rest of this week when you have, you know, more stimulus checks potentially coming down the way, plus uh, a retail sales print of over 5% for the month of January? Well, it's interesting because our star mine data tells us that both Kohl's and Target could post positive surprises today. It's no doubt that department stores have been struggling even before the pandemic, but Kohl's is well positioned um, going into the future. A lot of the analysts pulled by Refinitiv have become significantly more bullish on the company, especially with its initiatives with Sephora. Um, it, it, the, the, the analysts do believe that going forward, it's positioning itself for future growth. And then when we look at the overall retail um, sector in general, e-commerce is here to stay. Many retailers are being very vocal, like Walmart and Macy's telling us that they believe that consumers' behavior towards omni-channel and e-commerce is permanent. And even consumers agree. Um, in a survey with Myra Blue Public Opinion, Refinitiv discovered that Americans are telling us that even after COVID, they intend to continue to shop online, that they are continuing to practice social social distancing, working from home, order mm -hmm. online, and even avoid large crowds. So as a result, we are seeing, we're expecting e-commerce to continue to grow into the first quarter to 43% for the beginning of 2021. Wow. I mean, on that note, Walmart, Stacey, has been a big beneficiary of this trend that, of course, has been accelerated by the pandemic. And yesterday, Walmart saying it's nabbed uh, two Goldman Sachs bankers to help lead its new fintech. We know it's sort of been making these bigger moves in technology, uh, but will it pay off with the stock down 7% year to date? Well, I think Walmart has obviously been the biggest beneficiary for obviously being able to stay open and offer that incredible grocery proposition, which is half of their mix. And yes, they're investing in the future of technology. And you know, I would argue that Target and Walmart are moving more into trying to be technology companies. So it will pay off in the end, for sure. I would also say that you know some of the other trends we're seeing in retail is the buy now, pay later concept. So even the likes of Macy's is starting to embrace how that younger consumer wants to shop. And as a result, they're seeing that younger consumer that's spending more, that's loyal. So, you know, there's all sorts of different angles in retail for the old school retailers to try. Um, and it's great that so many of the old school brands are perhaps saying, you know, OK, our old school credit cards, perhaps we move forward and embrace this younger type of payment that drives a new consumer. So bottom line, you think Macy's move with Klarna was the right move? I think it's a, an incredibly smart move. Absolutely. And the stock didn't really react to that news about taking uh, about accepting Klarna or, or partnering with Klarna. Uh, but we will see what happens in the future. Stacey and Jerome, great discussion on retail. Thank you for joining me today. And that does it for us on Worldwide Exchange. I will see you uh, later on in the day. Squawk Box begins now. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only 
on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.